Their religious system wasn't much better. It didn't really offer them a place of, of safety and hope, but rather their religious system placed pressure on them. The religious leaders at the time had greatly distorted the image of God. And they were led to believe that they had to strive and follow excessive rules and rituals to just be deemed worthy of God's presence. They were trapped in a system that made them believe they weren't good enough. A system that often disqualified people from being able to access God's presence because of their gender, their position in society, even their health. They were trapped in a system that placed pressure on them to be perfect before validating approval with God and with man. And they had fallen very, very short of perfection. And so they were trapped in, in a fearful place, living in difficulty, in great despair. But here's the thing. They were in despair, but they were not despondent. They were desperate for rescue, but they were not despondent. And the reason they were not despondent was because of this incredible hope that they possessed. This incredible hope is what enabled this nation to endure through incredible difficulty. It had in the past enabled them to endure through the slavery, through exile, through the wilderness. And this incredible hope was in this, that one day the Messiah would come. One day the Messiah would come and save them. And deeply, deeply woven into the fabric of all Jewish culture and teachings and traditions for thousands of years was this hope. This hope. It was even woven into the fabric of their clothes. Reminders of this hope. They would live constantly aware of the hope that one day, one day we will be rescued and we won't have to live in fear because one day the Savior King will come and he will save us from oppression. He will release us from our prisons and he will restore our peace. So one day everything is going to be okay. Can you imagine the tension of that anticipation? With one foot in the present tense reality of their pain and the other foot at all times rooted very deeply and very firmly in this incredible hope that the Redeemer is coming and we will see breakthrough. We will see breakthrough. Now all of the prophets painted a portrait of exactly what would happen when he came to show the people how they would recognize him. And all of the prophets agree there are three things that they have in common. It would happen five days before Passover. He would come in through the east gates of the city and he would be riding on a donkey. And here we have it, at the height of his popularity, after just raising Lazarus from the dead, Amid murmurs and wonderings and whispers of who this Jesus could be. Five days before Passover, coming through the gates on the east, riding on a donkey, is Jesus. Can you imagine the incredible statement that that made? I'm going to be reading to you from Matthew chapter 21. 
beginning at verse 1 all the way through verse 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey to, and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I'm so grateful to God's word this morning. I love Palm Sunday for a variety of reasons, but one of the main reasons is that I love gifts. And Jesus entering Jerusalem in this way gives us a variety of gifts. More gifts than we could possibly imagine, but I thought I would just highlight three of them this morning. The first gift Palm Sunday offers us is that this is the moment. This is the moment where Jesus publicly revealed himself as the Savior King. Jesus entering the city in this way, specifically following all the prophecies, is him saying it is true. I am more than a good man. I am more than a teacher. I am more than a miracle worker. I am the one you have been contending for. I'm the one the teachers have been teaching about and the prophets have proclaimed about. I am the Savior King. I am the great I am and I am here to save you. Just imagine the excitement in that moment on that first Palm Sunday. No wonder Matthew writes that the entire city was stirred as they suddenly clicked. Can you imagine the joy of that moment? No wonder they spread their garments of clothes on the floor. That's what they used to do at king's coronations back in that day. Perhaps at that moment, all of the stories of how Jesus had been ministering started running through their minds. And they suddenly realized Wait, if he is the Savior King, if he is my Savior King, that means me too. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, me too. I have access to that kind of resurrection life. When he accepted the sinner, when he drew close the outcast, when he healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, gave dignity to the oppressed. Me too. No wonder the crowd abrupted and started singing Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means save me. Do you know that? Save me. It's like they were saying, me too. 
I need saving too. I need saving too. I need access to that healing power, to that resurrection power. I need to know that God is close, even if I'm a sinner. Me too. Traditionally, it was five days before Passover when a Jewish family would select the lamb that they would slaughter to atone for their sins. Don't you think it's a beautiful image? Here, exactly five days before Passover, the crowd starts shouting, Save me to the sinless, spotless lamb. Without realizing then that they were asking and choosing Jesus to be their atonement. They had assumed Jesus would save them through militant force by overthrowing the Romans and establishing his kingdom in the physical realm then and there. They didn't realize that salvation would come through a cross. May we never become so obsessed with the way we think God should be working that we miss the work he is doing in our present tense reality. It is by the cross that we have all been saved. In dying, he destroyed our death. And in rising, he restored our life. May we know today, through the gift of Palm Sunday, that he is more than our friend. Jesus is more than a beautiful friend. He is our Savior King too. And he longs to save us too. And he is the only one who really can. The woman with the issue of blood will testify to this. She had spent everything she had, scripture said. She had spent herself completely empty, pursuing places of healing. And it's only when she went to the Savior King that she was saved. The man at the pool will testify the same. For 38 years, he sat beside those waters, waiting for the waters to heal him, whispering to those waters, Hosanna, save me. But the waters could never do what only the Savior could. He is the only one who can give us life and heal us and make us whole. We were created by God and for God. And we will never find healing. We'll never find resurrection life unless we find it in him. As finite human beings, our response to pain and our response to difficulty is often to find a solution in other things. But only the living water can fulfill us. None of the other waters. A few years ago, my mom was leaving her salon and she noticed before she left that the hot chocolate powder in her coffee machine had finished. And so that night during load shedding, the dreaded load shedding, she was rummaging through her cupboards and found some powder and filled a container and she was very pleased she took the effort to do this because the next morning, her very first client ordered hot chocolate. And so my mom's operator made her some hot chocolate. And my mom said she was a bit hurt because as she was doing this lady's hair, she didn't look like she was enjoying her beverage at all. In fact, with every sip she took, she had this face of utter disgust. Utter disgust. And my mom thought this was a bit strange, but didn't think anything of it until she got home in the daylight. 
and had noticed her error. She filled the container with Bisto. <laughs> Bisto is useful. It has its place in society. In the right context, it can also be good. But it was never meant to be sipped with milk and sugar. <laughs> Ambition is wonderful. Success is awesome. Money is very useful. Entertainment is awesome. It's fun. But those things were never created to fulfill us. They were never created to give us life and to save us from ourselves. Only the Savior can do that. This Palm Sunday, we need to have the same courage that that first crowd had and choose to say the word, save me to our Savior. And here's the very good news. The fact that He came as a Savior King reveals who He came for. He came for people who needed saving. As that crowd would have discovered, God isn't looking for perfect. He's just looking for us. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, Jesus said. It's the sick. He isn't looking for perfect. He's just looking for us. We don't have to wait until we've got everything together before we cry out for help. We don't have to wait until we've got everything together before we say, Hosanna, save me. It is in crying out for help that we become perfect. Because when we call, he answers and he lifts us up out of the muck and mire and places our feet on solid ground. He is our Savior King. This Holy Week, what is it that you need saving? What area of your life is in desperate need of the touch of the Savior King? Perhaps as you sit here this morning, there are those of you who need to say the words Hosanna over your, your marriage or over your family, over your heart, over your mind. Perhaps some of you need to say the words Hosanna over your health, over perhaps decisions about the future, whatever it is. May we choose this Palm Sunday morning to be brave enough to say those words because behold Norfield, your king comes to you and he is mighty to save. His arms are strong enough to carry you. He is your Savior King. And He wants to do a work of salvation in every area of your life. Perhaps again this Holy Week. The second gift of Palm Sunday to me reveals exactly how our King comes to us. He comes to us in peace. You see, in those days, a king would enter a city that he wanted to take over with force during wartime on a horse. But when the king came in peace, he would come on a donkey. Jesus chose the specific mode of transformation to convey something about his nature. He is the king who comes to us in peace. That's why the prophets foretold, Behold, daughter Zion, your king comes to you and he is gentle, riding on a donkey. 
Jesus said the same about himself in Matthew's gospel. He said, I am humble and gentle of spirit. This is the nature of our God. He comes in peace and it's so important that we get this. It's so important that it clicks because the way we view God will affect the way we relate to him. When I was in matric, I started um, really doubting all the plans I'd made for my future. I started doubting my career choice. I started doubting the varsity that I was going to go to. I started doubting everything. In fact, the only thing I was really sure of was Northfield. <laughs> when I was here, I felt like I needed to be here. Which is why when the youth pastor at the time asked me if I wanted to do a gap year the following year, I knew I had to say yes. But I had one big problem. I had to figure out a way to speak to my dad about it. And I had assumed that my dad would be angry because I knew how desperately he wanted me to study full time. All my life he had been speaking to me about the importance of varsity and the experience of studying. And so I was terrified. I was so stressed, I didn't even sleep for weeks. I avoided speaking to him for weeks. <laughs> and one night, I'd finally run out of time. That was my only motivation. <laughs> That's the only thing that gave me courage, is because I had no days left, zero days left. And so I went to him and I said, Dad, would it be okay with you if I studied part-time next year and rather did a gap year program at Northfield? And I closed my eyes waiting for the explosion. <laughs> and suddenly, I felt his arms wrap around me, gently, not like throttling me. <laughs> and he was hugging me. And he whispered into my ear, my girl, I'm so glad I've been praying that God would give you clarity because I knew you weren't sure about the direction of your life anymore. <laughs> and I suddenly realized he was safe to approach all along. All those weeks of discomfort and sleepless nights were for nothing. Who we believe Jesus is will affect the way we call out to him. And if we even feel safe enough to call out to him at all. Palm Sunday reveals that he is the king who comes in peace. So we do not have to fear him. It is safe to approach him. It is safe to approach him. The prodigal son will testify to this. Avoidance is completely unnecessary. There is no need staying in your pig pen for a day longer than you need to. He is safe. He is so safe. No matter how messy it's gotten, no matter how far you feel you have failed or fallen short, he will meet you with a gentle embrace. He is so safe. The woman caught in the act of adultery will agree. He is not a king who picks up stones. He is so safe. Zacchaeus will verify this. You do not need to climb trees to hide your face for him. He's a God who sees you anyway and calls you close and loves you deeply. He is so safe. The fruit of his spirit are the visible qualities of an invisible God, which means he is loving and he is joyful and he is kind and he is good and he is gentle and he is self-controlled and he comes into our lives in peace. May we never ever 
ever allow our distorted view of God stop us from coming close to him. It is safe to approach. And it's so important that we do. Because it's in his presence that we find joy and healing and fullness of life. We rob ourselves from life when we rob ourselves from his presence. He comes in peace. And he comes in victory. This is the third gift of Palm Sunday. In John's version of the story, he mentions a specific detail that all the other writers of the Gospels leave out. He mentions the exact kind of branches that were cut down and placed on the path and that people waved at Jesus as he walked past. Can anyone here guess what kind of branches those were? What gave that away? It was palm branches. And it's a very specific and important detail. There's a reason John meticulously took the time to mention to his readers the kind of branches. Because palm branches represented something of great significance. In, In King David's day, when a king would enter a city after winning a war, the crowds would celebrate by cutting down palm branches and waving them at the king as he entered. John specifically included this detail because he longed to communicate to all people who are to come that when Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, he already entered as the king who had conquered, even before he faced his battle. He knew the outcome. And that is the hope we have as Christ followers. That is our entire hope. God wins in the end. God wins in the end. Even before we face the battle, we can stand on that assurance. God wins in the end. The reason we can worship and celebrate on Palm Sunday, even before Jesus goes to that terrible cross, is because we already know there's a resurrection Sunday. There is always a resurrection Sunday. There is always a resurrection Sunday. The next seven days of Jesus' life would bring with it a lot of pain and testing and moments where he would be brought to his knees. The space between God's promise and our present moment often contains a lot of pain. But it's so important that we endure. Because when we endure, we will hold the breakthrough that he has promised us. Jesus had to endure a lot over the next seven days. He had to endure threats and weeping and fear and betrayal. But his journey didn't end in that garden. And his journey didn't end with betrayal His journey didn't end when those soldiers mocked him and beat him. It didn't end when the soldiers pierced him with those nails. His journey didn't end on the cross and it didn't end in the grave. In fact, his journey didn't end at all because he rose again in victory. He rose again in victory because God wins. And I'm not sure what you are going through right now, But may you be assured on this Palm Sunday that your journey doesn't end in this betrayal. It doesn't end in this pain. 
It doesn't end in this despair. It doesn't end in this questioning. It doesn't end in this disappointment. It doesn't end in this fear. It doesn't end in this loneliness. Weeping may go on all night, but joy will come in the morning because you serve a king who has already conquered. So you will see a victory. You will see a victory. In closing, I'm reminded of a verse that we read in Zechariah that instructs people to lift up palm branches and rejoice for seven days specifically. As the disciples held those branches, they would have remembered that verse. God was instructing them to rejoice through every trial that the next seven days would bring them. Rejoice through the moments where they felt despondent. Rejoice through that terrible Saturday where they genuinely believed that they had lost and that it was over. Rejoice because it is in rejoicing and worshipping that something supernaturally shifts inside of us. It is through worship that God lifts our perspective to see past the pain of our current moment. And as we look instead to his good ending and to the good God who will carry us there, we are given supernatural strength to endure so that we can press on and take hold of the prize that Christ already attained for us to take hold of. This Palm Sunday and for the rest of the year, whenever you see a palm tree, may you choose to do the same. May you choose to rejoice so that you can be strengthened to endure, so that you can see the breakthrough that God desires for you to hold. Let's pray together. Father God, as we gather before you as your people, we are so grateful for your ministry and your work on this earth. We're so grateful that you made it possible for us to come close to you. We're so grateful for the work of the cross that made you accessible to us. And we pray, Jesus, that as we enter this holy week, that you'll give us the courage we need to offer you the places in our life that are in desperate need of your saving touch. We pray, Jesus, that as we enter this holy week, that we would remember that you are the God who comes to us in peace. So it is so safe for us to reveal those parts to you. And we pray, Jesus, that as we face difficulties, as we face disappointments and the ups and downs of life, that you will give us the courage to choose to rejoice so that we may have the strength to endure, so that we too may see our own Resurrection Sundays. We pray all of this in your wonderful name. Amen.